Necrophilia includes the desire of certain people to control others, to make them controllable, to foster their dependency, to discourage their capacity to think for themselves, to diminish their unpredictability and originality, to keep them in line. M. Scott Peck. Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Violin Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, give us five stars, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. Tell your family, tell your friends if you really like listening. We'd really appreciate it. And then also, I just want to give an extra content warning for this week. We are going to be covering, as the quote says, necrophilia and necrophile cases so if that grosses you out a little too much maybe skip this week i don't have a choice nope i get to subject john john <laughs> to everything it's just great yeah i i am almost ready to be unsettled for the rest of my night you're welcome yeah last time affected me for a few days <laughs> so yeah Black Eyed Kids are pretty spooky. They are. (laughs) All right. So today's topic is a couple different necrophile cases. And how today is just going to go is I'm going to go through the different classifications of necrophiles, cover one case kind of thoroughly, and then I have two smaller cases right at the end. Just to give you and the listeners uh, an idea of how this week's episode is going to go. So we're going to be learning things while we feel unsettled. Yep. Grossed out. Okay. All right. So let's just get right into it. So the first class, class one, is called role players. And these people do not want to actually have sex with a dead person. They enjoy sex with living people just pretending to be dead. And that is class one role players. Uh, I, I don't know if that makes it better. It probably doesn't. I don't. Hmm. Hmm. I I'm weirded out already. You didn't even start yet. No, I didn't. And I mean, like, I mean, you do you. It's not hurting anybody at that point. Yeah, it's just a little bit different. So, anyway, class two is romantic necrophiles. These are people who would mummify a part of a body of a recently departed person or loved one and keep it with them in order to get psychosexual stimulation. Basically, to still feel loved and still have a part of this person with them. They would not, however, show a similar interest to any other dead body, just their loved one, i.e. like a body of a person whom they were not romantically involved with in life, they wouldn't be interested in. 
just someone so, that they were involved with. So, like, taxidermy for someone they cared about so they can still hang out with them type thing? Yeah, yeah. I feel like a portrait or a picture might work a little yeah, more appropriately. These people want, like, physical proximity to their deceased loved one. Okay. Is it bad that I find that one a little more appropriate than the last one? I think I I think that's I don't know. So anyways, class three is necrophiliac fantasizers. They fantasize intercourse with the dead. They may visit cemeteries or funeral parlors and may masturbate in the presence of the dead. Okay. I got no justifications for this. Nope. I'm moving right along. They're just going to get progressively worse. (laughs) Oh, no. Class four is tactile necrophiles. They have interest in dead bodies, and they have increased need and an increased level of touching them. They like to stroke erotic parts of a dead body, such as the breasts. Many may manipulate sexual organs of a dead person in order to get an orgasm. I feel like this... Might be only available to people who like do autopsies and stuff. Or serial killers. Maybe even funeral homeowners. Eh. And we're going to move right along to class five. Okay. Fetish. <laughs> Fetishistic necrophiles these cut up parts of a dead body say like a breast to mummify it and keep it in their possession to use it as a fetish for their necrophilic activities this differs from class two necrophiles in the sense that class five do it with the bodies of strangers with whom they held no romantic relationship with in life thus they do not merely fill a psychosexual vacuum left by the death of their loved ones they are literally just doing it uh with random corpses hmm so that's like the stereotype that most people think of right i would think that tactile necrophiles would be more the stereotypical Hmm. case that people think of but i like these could be more like uh killers that take trophies after the fact Oh. If you think of it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Class 6 is necromutilomaniacs. They have interest in dead bodies, and it's more than merely just touching them. They have necrophilic pleasure comes from mutilating a dead body. So they just like to deface corpses. So mostly... Like, butcher-type stuff. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Then there is Class 7 Opportunistic Necrophiles. They have actual sexual activity with the dead... Oh, sorry. Actual sexual activity with the dead starts from this class going forward. So, I was wrong in the sense that uh, Class 4 is just people touching them. 
Hmm. Where class uh, seven is people actually having sex with them. Hmm. Normally, these necrophiles would be content to have sexual intercourse with the living, but if an opportunity arose, they would not refrain from having sexual intercourse with the dead. Necrophilic mortuary attendants belong to this class. Oh. So this is more the stereotype. Yes. Yep, that is more the stereotype. Correcting myself from the last one, again, class four was them just touching and being erotic with the corpses without actually having sex. So the opportunistic one is them actually having sex. All right, so class eight is regular necrophiles. I mean, I don't think regular would be like a just word, but I mean, it's what the class is called. Uh, these so-called class, these are so-called classic necrophiles. They do not enjoy sexual intercourse with the living and prefer dead po- bodies for intercourse. They can, however, have sex with both living and dead persons in the sense they differ from class X necrophiles who can only have sex with dead persons. So, uh. where class eight is like, they would class eight has sex with both living. And dead people, like, they wouldn't pass up an opportunity for a dead person. Class 9, they can have sex with both. They just prefer uh, sex with the dead. So, one is more just if the opportunity is there, then they would. But the last one is more they highly prefer that over the other. Yes. And then class nine is homicidal necrophiles. These, this category is the most dangerous out of all the necrophiles in the sense that they would kill a person in order to have intercourse with him or her. They are, they are however, capable of having sexual intercourse with the living, but the need for sexual intercourse with the dead is so great that they must kill human beings in order to have that sexual intercourse with their dead bodies. Oh... Yep. Okay. So, like, huh. I I would personally put Bundy in this category because he yeah. was, he needed to kill. Like, he had that feeling to kill, and he would go back and have sex with the dead bodies after the fact and revisit some of his burial sites, too. Yeah. Yep. And then class 10 is exclusive necrophiles. They have sexual intercourse only with dead bodies. They can only have sex with dead bodies. Like, they wouldn't be able to complete sex with the living. And they don't typically have living partners. Okay. Yes. Huh. So those are the 10 classes of necrophiles. Yeah. It seems like a bit of an escalation. Like somebody might start at 1 and would end at 10 if something didn't happen in between. Like a progression type stuff. I mean, people may progress. I would hope that they wouldn't. But they may. Anyways... Want to get to the first case? 
No, but let's do it. All right. So we are going to cover Anatoly Moskovin, who was born on the 1st of September 1966 to parents Yuri Fedorovich and Elvira Alexandrovna in Russia. Um, and he was a philologist, historian, and linguist from Nancy Norvgord. Gord, Nansin Novogord. Pronunciations are all over. Sorry, guys. It is Russia, after all. It is Russia. I'm trying my best, you know. Like we always say, two country bumpkins trying to do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) His upbringing, however, was far from easy. While he was in third grade, he returned home one day covered in bruises. He received and he claimed that this was because he was raped by an unknown man and this was in third grade Mm. and uh, an article that he published october 26th of 2011 moscovin divulged on how a group of men in black suits stopped him on the way home from school one day they were en route to a funeral of an 11 year old natasha petrova and dragged anatolia along to her coffin where they forced him to kiss the dead girl's corpse. Moskovin wrote, I kissed her once, then again, then again. The girl's grieving mother put a wedding ring on Anatoly's finger and a wedding ring on her, her dead daughter's finger. And Anatoly said, My strange marriage with Natasha Petrova was useful. He said it led to a belief in black magic and ultimately a fascination with the dead. Whether or not this story is true is besides the point now, as is disturbing thoughts would go unchecked for more than 30 years after that encounter and he said that this encounter haunted him he had constant nightmares and again this is where his interest in uh black magic started understandable yep he so after this incident incident he began to wander through cemeteries as a schoolboy his macabre interest even informed his studies, and Moskovin eventually learned advanced, or earned an advanced degree in Celtic studies, a culture whose mythology often blurs the lines between life and death. This historian also mastered some 13 languages and was a many times published scholar. Moskin Moscovin roamed from cemetery to cemetery in Russia. I don't think anyone else in the city knows them better than I do, he stated. From 2005 to 2007, Moscovin claimed to have visited more than 752 cemeteries in Nansevny Norvgorod, his hometown. And I'm sorry, I know I'm butchering that. But how many cemeteries in the one town? 752. I think it's kind of like a Providence. Maybe like grave plots. Like maybe several different like families had a certain area or something. It just says 752 cemeteries. I know Russia's really, really big. And the reason why I say this is he took detailed notes on each one and delved into the histories of those people buried there. He claimed to have walked up to 20 miles per day visiting these cemeteries, sometimes sleeping on hay bales and drinking rainwater from puddles as he was going through them. That's a rough time. Yeah, but 20 miles a day. Uh, It must have been at least 
relatively fit physically. Yeah. Muscovin posted a documentary series of his travels and discoveries entitled Great Walks Around Cemeteries and What the Dead Said. These continued to be published in a weekly newspaper. He even said he spent one night sleeping in a coffin ahead of a deceased person's funeral. His observations were more than just observations, however. In 2009, locals began to discover the graves of their loved ones desecrated, sometimes even completely dug up. A Russian interior minister spokesman, Journal Valery Gabakin, told CNN that initially our leading theory was that it was done by some extremist organizations. We decided to beef up our police units and set up groups composed of our most experienced detectives who specialized in, in extremist crimes to cover the desecrated graves. But for nearly two years, the interior ministry's leads went nowhere. Graves continued to be desecrated and no one knew why. Then a break in the investigation came following a terrorist attack in Domitodovo Airport in Moscow in 2011. Shortly afterward, authorities heard reports of Muslim graves being desecrated in the Nancy Norvgood. Investigators were led to a cemetery where someone was painting over the pictures of dead Muslims but not damaging anything else. This was where Moscovin was finally caught. Eight police officers went to his apartment after they apprehended him at the graves of the Muslims to gather evidence. And this, he was arrested November 2nd in 2011. The 45-year-old lived with his parents in a small apartment. He was reportedly lonely and something of a pack rat. Inside, authorities found life-size doll-like figures throughout the apartment. These figures resembled antique dolls. They wore fine and uh, varied clothing. Some wore knee-high boots. Others had makeup over faces Moscovin had covered in fabric. He also hid in their hands in fabric. Except these dolls were not dolls. They were mummified corpses of human girls. When police moved one of the bodies, it played music as if on cue. And inside the chest of many of these dolls, Moscovin had embedded music boxes. Uh, yep. uh, there will be pictures on the blog of okay. some of these dolls. They look really creepy. There were also photographs and plaques taken off of gravestones, doll-making manuals, and maps of local cemeteries strewn throughout the apartment. Police even discovered that the clothes worn by the mummified corpses were the clothes in which they were buried in. Investigators later found music boxes or toys inside the bodies of the dead girls so that they could reduce sounds when Moscovin touched them. There were, there were also several personal belongings and clothing inside some of the mummies. One mummy had a piece of her own gravestone with her name scrawled on it inside her body. Another one contained a hospital tag with the date and caused the girl's death. A dried human heart was found inside a third body. Moscovin admitted that he would stuff decayed corpses with rags and other things, and then he would wrap nylon tights around their faces and fashion doll faces onto them. He would also insert buns and toy eyes into the girls' eye sockets so that they could watch cartoons with him. And that's a quote from him. Mm. The historian said that he mostly loved his girls, though there were a few dolls in his garbage which she claimed to have grown to dislike. 
He said that he dug up graves of girls because he was lonely. He said he was single and his biggest dream was to have children. Russian adoption agencies wouldn't let Moskovin adopt a child because he didn't make enough money. Perhaps that was for the best, judging by the condition of his packed rec department and psychotic obsessions with dead people. Moskovin added that he did what he did because he was waiting for science to find a way to bring the dead back to life. In the meantime, he used the simple solution of salt and baking soda to preserve his girls. He celebrated the birthdays of the dolls as if they were his own children. Moskovin's parents claimed to know nothing of the true origin of Moskovin's quote-unquote dolls. Ivera, the professor's then 76-year-old mom, said, We saw these dolls, but we did not suspect they were d- dead bodies inside. We thought it was a hobby to make such big dolls and did not see anything wrong with it. Shoes in Moskovin's apartment matched the footprints near the desecrated graves, and police knew without a doubt that they had their grave robber. All in all, authorities discovered 29 life-size dolls in Moskovin's apartment. They ranged from ages... 3 to 25. One corpse he kept for nearly nine years. Moskovin was charged with dozens of crimes, all of which dealt with the desecration of graves. The Russian media called him the Lord of the Mummies or the Perfumer. So, I'm going to just kind of go into what he all did and a bit of his trial and everything. Uh... But that was what the police discovered. Yeah, my only criticism is the parents, which he was living with, had no idea that any of that was going on. Because they must have known that he was going to the like, cemeteries a lot. I mean, he was writing about it a lot. And he suddenly had all these new dolls, and then there were reports of people missing either his parents were very recluse and had no idea or they just never paid attention to him so that probably added more to it i feel like they had to know it was such a small apartment and he had a bunch of stuff to mummify him and i'm pretty sure he did it in his apartment right so how it's i think it's more they were scared to say anything probably instead of not knowing. Yeah, probably. Hmm. 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 And they probably didn't want to get in trouble for it either. Yeah. Because I'm guessing by the time they figured it out, a good amount of stuff already happened. Yeah. And they were housing it. Yes, they were. Okay. Alright. Alright. So I'm going to kind of just continue with a bit of the court and like his thoughts behind it and it's some of it will be a little bit repeated but this is just more information about Moscovin. Mm. So Moscovin was suspected of desecrating as many as 150 graves after police found numerous grave accoutrements such as metal nameplates removed from headstones. Police also discovered instructions for making the dolls, maps of cemeteries, a collection of photographs and videos depicting open graves and the disinterred bodies. Though none of this evidence could be conclusively connected to any of the bodies found in the apartment. 
According to the investigation, the bodies primarily came from cemeteries in the Nazi Novgorod region, though some may have come from as far away as Moscow. Moscovin actively cooperated with the investigators and claimed he made the dolls over the course of 10 years. His parents, who were away for large portions of the year, were unaware of the activities. But still, come on. Yeah, I don't believe that part. Moscovin was charged under Article 244 of the Criminal Code with the desecration of graves and dead bodies and charged a charge which carried up to five years in prison. Originally, Moscovin was also accused of having defaced the graves of Muslims, considered a hate crime, but this charge was later dropped. After a psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that Moscovin suffered from a form of paranoid schizophrenia. In a hearing on the 25th of May, 2012, the Linsky District Court of Nancy Norvgood deemed Moscovin unfit to stay in trial, releasing him from criminal liability. He was instead sentenced to coercive medical measures. The prosecution was satisfied with the decision and did not appeal the verdict. Moscovin was removed to a psychiatric clinic with his stay to be reviewed regularly. In February 2013, a hearing approved an extension of his psychiatric treatment. His treatment was again extended in April 2014 and yet again in July 2015. In 2014, a spokesman stated, After three years of monitoring him in psychiatric clinic, it is absolutely clear that Moscovin is not mentally fit for trial. He will therefore be kept for psychiatric treatment at the clinic. As of 2019, every request for the extension of Moscovin's treatment has been approved. In an interview after his arrest, Moscovin stated he felt great sympathy for the dead children and thought that they could be brought back to life by either science or black magic. As an expert on Celtic culture, Moscovin learned the ancient druids slept on the graves in order to communicate with spirits of the dead. He also studied the culture of peoples uh, of the peoples of Siberia, in particular the ancient Yakurts and discovered that they had a similar practice for communicating with the dead. Moscovin began searching for obituaries of recently deceased children. When he found an obituary that spoke to him, he would sleep on the child's grave in order to determine if the spirit wished to be brought back to life. Moscovin claimed he had been doing this around 20 years, and insisted that when he began, he never dug up a grave without the permission of the child within. As he grew older, it became physically painful for him to sleep on graves, so he began bringing the bodies home where it would be more comfortable to sleep near them. He hoped the spirits would be more willing to speak in a safe, welcoming home, and that they might be easier to hear when they were no longer underground. So I feel like that's digging them up without permission, but that's just me. Yeah, but the schizophrenia thing tends to make people... Uh rationalize things that normally wouldn't be rationalized. True, true, true. So, there is a rationale to it, though it doesn't quite make sense to us. It probably did, like it did to him. Yeah. At least a little. Anywho, after exhuming the corpses, Moscovin researched mummification theories and techniques in an attempt to preserve the bodies. He dried the corpses using a combination of salt and baking soda, and then 
catch the the bodies in a secure, dry place in and around cemeteries. Once the bodies dried, he carried them to his home where he used various methods to make the dolls in an attempt to get the children functional bodies to be used when he would eventually discover a way to bring them back to life. Feeling that their physical remains were too decayed and ugly for them to feel comfortable or happy. Unable to prevent the bodies from withering and shrinking as they dried, he would wrap the limbs in strips of cloth and stuff the body cavity with rags and padding to provide fullness. Sometimes adding wax masks decorated with nail polish over the faces before dressing them in brightly colored children's clothes and wigs. These details made the bodies appear to be large homemade dolls, which prevented their discovery. It was unclear if each doll contained a full set of human remains or not. Moskovin was aware that he was committing a crime, but the dead children were calling out to be rescued and believed that rescue, and he believed that rescuing the children was more important than obeying the law. He was also motivated by his own desire to have children, specifically a daughter. Moskovin often regretted that he never had children. At one point, he attempted to adopt the young girl against the wishes of his parents, but the application was declined due to his low income. Moskovin denied any sexual attraction to the dolls and instead considered them to be his children. He spoke and interacted with the corpses, sang songs to them, watched cartoons with them, and even held birthday parties and celebrated holidays for their benefit. And that is the story of Anatoly Moskovin. Okay. That was like right around when we graduated high school. Yes. It was really big back then. I remember hearing about this, um, but yeah, but I didn't really know everything involved with it and how many were, or how many bodies were involved. Yeah. The there's a video online of police going around his apartment, and I remember seeing that when that came out, but I didn't remember ever following up on this or where he went or what was done with him. Yeah, I had no idea. I just heard about a Russian guy who was con- grave robbing. I think that's all that I had known. But now, I'm a little unsettled. Yeah. But I, hearing the full thing, I got a good picture of at least why it happened. Yeah. And not to, like... I guess stereotype people at all, but this guy does look kind of crazy. Well, I haven't seen the picture, so yeah, I'll see it soon enough. They'll be on the blog. Um, but he was a very smart individual. I mean, he learned thirteen languages, was really well published. He just had different ideals. He picked up mummification on a whim, so yeah, he yeah. he wasn't stupid. No. He was troubled. Troubled. I mean, anyone with schizophrenia is going to have a hard time. I don't know. I'm guessing a lot of that probably started with the... Incident? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yep. And I know schizophrenia tends... Well, like, not always, but it tends to come on in males in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he probably would have 
had it after that incident around third grade and it be an early form. Like I think most of it is like induced or like if you're susceptible to it, then moments of extreme stress might cause that to flip that switch. Yeah. And instead of being possible, like possibly having it, you now have it because it got triggered. Yep. So. Hmm. Yep. Alright, are you ready to hear about our next person, Kenneth Douglas? I need to compose myself. Um. Uh, okay, I'm ready to be unsettled again. Alright, I'm reading directly from this article, which will be cited on our blog. A man has admitted to having sex with up to 100 corpses, some of whom were murder victims while he was drunk or high on drugs. Kenneth Douglas, 60, worked as a morgue attendant in Ohio, USA between 1976 and 1992, where he committed the sexual crimes against dead women while working the night shift. He admitted to sexually abusing the cadavers of three women between 1991 and 1992, two of which were murder victims, and disclosed and in a disclosed deposition that he had sex with up to 100 corpses over a period of 16 years. I would just get on top of them and pull my pants down, he is seen telling the court in the deposition video obtained by WCPO. The former morgue attendant's crimes have only come to light in their entirety after the families of Douglas's victims were told that they could sue Hamilton County in Ohio by a federal appeals court. County now faces federal lawsuit and huge legal bills after a panel cited evidence that Douglas supervisors knew he was getting drunk and having sex with corpses while on the job. If I hadn't had anything to drink when I went into work, it wouldn't happen, he said on his de deposition. I would do crack and then go in, or drink and go in. His wife had said the de in the deposition that she had attempted to alert the morgue supervisor claiming that Douglas would return after work smelling like sex and alcohol. He said whatever happens on county time and on county property is county business, she had claimed. The <sighs> yep. The county had claimed the abuse of women were the unknown criminal act of an employee and that it would not be held liable. Douglas wasn't actually discovered until 2008 when his semen was found on a murder victim, the 19-year-old Karen Range, who was killed by a door-to-door -door salesman. Her killer, David Steffen, admitted to the murder but denied the rape charge made against him. Douglas, however, admitted to having sex with Range's corpse when she died in 1992. Her body had been slashed and she was reportedly nearly decapitated when she was in the morgue. In 2012, he also pled guilty to having sex with the bodies of April Hicks, a 24-year-old woman who had fallen from a third-story window and who had died from blunt force tr trauma, and Charlene Apolline on the day that she died between 1991 and 1992. Apolline was strangled. All three families sued the county following Douglas's second conviction in 2012. Oh... So, you had said at the beginning of the episode, a morgue attendant, this guy yes. is your person. Yeah. And I do want to point out that 9 out of 10 necrophiles are men. So, I did, however, find out uh, one story with a female. And oh. 
that is Karen Greenlee, who I will cover next. But okay. Yeah, this guy did freak me out, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't. Uh, it's. It doesn't make sense to me at all. Nope. Where the last one had a reason. Yep. Nope. You uh, just get drunk or high and then do it. Uh, this is really bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yep. But over a hundred corpses, according to his deposition. That family, well, that whole town is going to be just uncertain about things yep. for a while. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the uncomfortable episode, guys. Yay. If you weren't already uncomfortable, you are now. Yeah. Okay. I'm severely unsettled by the person that didn't have dolls in his room. Didn't expect that. Yep. Okay. All right. So the next one is Karen Greenlee, who worked as an apprentice embalmer at the Memorial Lawn Mortuary in Sacramento, California. On December 17, 1979, she stole the 1975 Cadillac hearse she was driving to a funeral along with the body of a 33-year-old man who had died a week before that the hearse was carrying. According to Lion Stop, who directed Kiss, a film based on Greenlee's story, Greenlee was driving the hearse to a funeral, as intended, until she saw the departed family. She did a big donut and took off. She was found days later near Algany in Sierra County. According to Dr. Robert Rochley, the physician who pumped Greenlee's stomach, she was extremely depressed and had attempted suicide by overdosing in about 20 pills of Tylenol and codeine, but she survived. She was found with a four-and-a-half-page-long written confession and admitted to having sex with 20 to 40 bodies of young men, calling it an addiction. Because necrophilia was not illegal in California at the time, Greenlee was only accused of stealing the hearse and interfering with a funeral, for which she pleaded guilty and was sentenced to pay a fine of 220 $55 and spend 11 days in jail. After her release, her probation included mandatory therapy, which says helped her make peace with herself. Greenlean and, and Memorial Lawn Mortuary were sued for $1 million by marrying Gonzalez, the mother of the victim, John L. McCure, for severe emotional distress. As the superior... At the Superior Court hearing, the defense psychiatrist, Dr. Shatbane Thompson, said he did not think the event had much of a lasting impact on the victim's mother, who he says had a history of alcoholism and depression. Richard Kampunski, a fellow embalmer and former colleague of Greenlee, testified to the jury that there was no respect, reason to suspect Greenlee would commit such a crime, describing her as a quiet and competent worker. The lawsuit was eventually settled for $117,000 in general and punitive damages. A few years later, in 1987, Greenlee gave a detailed and very frank interview entitled The Unrepentant Necrophile about her necrophilic interests to Jim Morton for his book The Apocaly 
Apocalypse Culture, published by the Feral House. She described her preference for younger men and what sexual acts she would perform on the dead bodies, as well as her attractions for the smells of blood and death. She described herself as a morgret and considered necrophilia an addiction. She later reported she regretted that interview, changed her identity, and then moved to a different city. Greenlee's story, however, inspired Barbara Gowdy's 1992 short story, We So Seldom Look on Love, which turned into the inspired 1996 Canadian independent film Kiss, directed by Lean Stopwich. Like Greenlee in the movie's main character was a young woman working as an embalmer fascinated with dead bodies who engages in necrophilia. Molly Parker's portrayal of the controversial role earned her an award for the performance by an actress in a leading role at the 18th Guinea Awards. As of 1996, Greenie was reported to be touring North America with her poetry conferencing about necrophilia and sexual liberation. According to Astoria, a leading extreme culture and horror magazine of the 90s, Sally Jesse Raffel taped an interview with Karen Greenlee, but refused to air it because Greenlee refused to show repentance for, an action, for her actions as a necrophile. Greenlee contributed to the chapter of the Gospel of Filth, a book detailing the history about occult influences and extreme metal band Cradle Filth. Greenlee's story was also the inspiration for a ruckus rock musical entitled the Unpregnant Necrophile Created by the Cold Hearts, presented at festivals like the 4th edition of the Twin Cities Horror Festival and the 2017 Orlando Fringe Festival. So, just to recap, Karen Greenlee was an American criminal convicted of stealing a hearse while having sex with the corpse inside it. She's considered the best-known modern practitioner of necrophilia, and her case was subject of much research due to her gender because only 1 in 10 are female necrophiles, as well as because it was highly detailed in the interview she gave about her extensive practice of necrophilia to the anthropology book Apocalypse Culture. Yeah. I mean, for someone who was, like, a, one, a criminal, two, possibly mentally unstable... She really impacted a lot of pulp, like a lot of pop culture. I know several books and musicals, as well as articles, and she wasn't even convicted for the necrophilia part. She was just convicted for stealing no. hers, and I mean damages outside, but. But like the book, the the music, the poetry, the movie. Yeah. It's like. I don't know. I think there's there's more serial killers wishing they had the influence that she did. Probably, and she didn't even kill anyone. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if they're either jealous or mad they didn't think about it first. Yeah. Then again, I don't know if there's any serial killers listening to this podcast, but there might be, and I would wouldn't suggest doing that. It's always ending in a bad time. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> John, I don't know. that's all I have for necrophiles, and I'm glad to be done of that episode. But very interesting topic, just glad to be done. Yeah. 
Uh, like there is a full spectrum of possibilities with that in there. There's, there's the guy that's a little insane. Yep. Just hanging out with his make believe family. I believe there also are movies that run around that similar topic. Yeah. The, the addicted person that goes nuts for weird things. Not a real good reason for any of it. Just happens. Yeah. That's uh, uh, unsettling. And the strange pop culture icon. Hmm. Yep. Ooh. I mean, I didn't get into, like, decomposition of bodies or whatnot, but... The, her case did talk about like rigor mortis and some of that stuff but again I just didn't want to get that detailed into it no I was I, already grossed out I I assumed yeah so that's okay yep I am educated and uncomfortable educated and uncomfortable a way to leave this podcast Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. If you did, I did. I'm changed. So, yeah, if you really want to hear more things that disturb you on a personal level or are just intriguing, you could hit us up and give us some five stars. Subscribe. Do all these fun stuff. I'm, I'm emotionally troubled right now. Do you want to do the rest, Audie? <laughs> Yeah, so, and again, sorry for any emotional trauma. There was a good warning pre this episode. But yeah. if, if you guys want to give us a shout or tell us any spooky true crime stories, you can email it, uh, email us at vice at gmail.com. If you want to follow us, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook is Podcast. Instagram is at Violent Vice Podcast. Twitter is at Violent Vice, and there's no ampersands here. It's V I L E A N D V I C E. And also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Violent Vice. We really appreciate you guys listening. Anything helps me get past this emotional trauma. Yes, luckily, we're recording the next episode right after this. I need a change of topic. <laughs> Anyways, thanks guys for listening. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Revac. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you. Thank you.